sometimes we're doing everything right. Aside from, you know, working a lot and having a lot of responsibilities, I was really drawing on everything I knew. I was meditating every day, exercising, doing acupuncture, eating clean, like, and I just needed a break from the way that my brain was functioning. Like the roller coaster was too much. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I'm anxiety treatment expert and licensed mental health counselor, Justine Carino. I'm here to help you understand the root of your anxiety so you can create new habits that actually stick. Toxic behavior patterns, dysfunctional relationships, and childhood family trauma are all linked to the anxiety you experience. And that's exactly what we dive into on this podcast. Join me as I guide you through flipping the script on your negative thoughts, setting healthy boundaries in your relationships, and cultivating a self-care practice that's as unique as you are. From my couch to yours, let's create your path to peace. Hello everyone. Today we are talking about postpartum anxiety and depression. So you may not be so familiar with the term postpartum anxiety because it is not as well researched as postpartum depression. So women can experience both anxiety and depression after giving birth, but to get the diagnosis, the symptoms have to emerge within the first 12 months of having their baby. So it is a difficult time First of all, to have a baby and transition to motherhood or to have a second kid or a third kid, so much is changing in your life, in your environment, with your hormones. And a lot of times women may not recognize that they're experiencing these symptoms of postpartum anxiety or depression because they just feel like it's what's supposed to be happening during this time. So I get into more of this in this episode with my guest, Dr. Christina Burns. Christina struggled with postpartum anxiety after the birth of all three of her children, and she's here to tell her story with us. In this episode, she talks about her symptoms of postpartum anxiety and depression, how it impacted her relationship with her husband, and what she did to get through this difficult time in her life. I'll tell you a little bit about Christina. Christina began her career in holistic medicine at the age of 19 when she began studying nutrition and herbal medicine. And then over that next decade, she achieved degrees in acupuncture, herbal medicine, nutrition, and yoga therapy. She has founded a wellness institute in Manhattan that's focused on helping women achieve their optimal life and health goals through natural medicine practices, informed nutrition, lifestyle management, and personalized mind-body programs. She's also a frequent speaker on the topic of women's health and wellness and lives in New York City with her three children and husband. And in this episode, you're also going to hear how she treated her postpartum anxiety and depression with something that's right up her alley. So stay tuned. Let's dive in so you can meet Christina. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? Sure. Uh, I am the founder and one of the practitioners at a wellness institute in New York City called the Naturna Institute. And there we help women and couples deal with hormonal issues with a focus on fertility and conception. So we help women and couples going through fertility treatment or trying to get pregnant naturally uh, to integrate natural therapies to improve their outcomes. And I live with my three kids and my husband in New York in the Upper East Side. I've been a practitioner for 20 years and I love holistic, natural, everything, like good, healthy nutrition, healthy living, exercise, all the things. So that's the gist. 
I love it. I think you're doing amazing work. Um, so our listeners know I was also a guest on your podcast and we talked about um, the mental health aspects of infertility and struggling with trying to conceive and what that looks like. So I was honored to be a guest on yours and listeners head over to Christina's podcast to, to hear more about that. But let's get into it. You know, we're diving into all things mental health post-baby, right? So postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. I know this is something you struggled with with your pregnancy. So I'm very thankful you're able to open up and talk about this and share your experiences because so many women experience a lot of shame around this topic and they feel really isolated during the postpartum phase. So I'm just very grateful to talk about this with you. Um, so do you mind telling us a little bit what this looked like for you and while you were pregnant and after? Sure. So I've always struggled with my hormones in terms of how they affected my mood. I think, you know, that was really the main thing that I've struggled with ever since puberty, because I didn't really have any mental and emotional issues prior to puberty. So it was the onset of the hormones. And I also I have PCOS, but you tend to have more neurochemical imbalances and and anxiety, depressive issues with PCOS, but that's another topic. So anyway, puberty hit, I started to have very um, dramatic mood issues for like two weeks out of the month. And I never knew how food or lifestyle or anything like that could affect it. When I uh, got pregnant, it was like incredible, the level of anxiety I developed, like it was, it was almost unmanageable. And you don't really hear about anxiety and pregnancy. You hear a lot about anxiety and depression and postpartum, but, but pregnancy, um, it was very heightened for me. Now, you know, I was, um, opening a new practice and I had a lot going on, but this was my first pregnancy and I had had some miscarriages prior to that. So, you know, part of me was wondering, oh, you know, is this some trauma leading up to it? And just the amount I had going on, but but I don't think it was. And, and I remember the first trimester was the most brutal. So as the, you know, hormones kind of were in their most dramatic shift and then around 18 weeks or so, it started to get better. Like I, I was in what I can recall being just like, like, a, I think it was a dark depression. Like I remember having terrible brain fog and feeling very anxious and overwhelmed and not being able to kind of get past myself and my problems and just almost being like paralyzed by anxiety. Like everything was really hard and scary. And I overanalyzed every little thing and I was just stuck in my own head. And then, yeah, around 18 weeks, um, it, it lifted a little bit. Like I became more functional. I still had anxiety, but more like how I used to, um, and not to the point of it being as crippling as it was during the pregnancy. So, you know, first trimester was really bad. Um, the rest of the pregnancy was manageable, but still, still, I would say heightened. And then the postpartum period with my first wasn't actually that bad. She was a good sleeper and, um, she was a sweet little baby. There were some issues with colic, which was kind of tricky, you know, exhausting, but the postpartum depression with, with number wasn't what number one wasn't so bad with number two, I had anxiety, but I had learned about a supplement called NAC and acetylcysteine, um, which is safe for pregnancy. And I had taken that and that had helped the anxiety quite a bit. 
And, and so, and I just continued to get acupuncture and natural therapies during my pregnancy, which helped to manage the anxiety. And it just wasn't nearly as heightened as in my first pregnancy, though it was still there. The postpartum period with my second was horrendous. I had that same like brain fog. Like I felt like, I felt like I just like, I wanted to push on my head or I didn't like, I literally was like, what is going on? Like, I couldn't think, I literally couldn't think at all. And I just felt like dark and depressed and um, angry. Like everything my husband did bothered me and, and everything was just negative, negative, negative. And I don't think that lifted. And my, my son, the second, he was a bad sleeper. So I was getting really bad sleep. And with both, it's probably notable to say that I went back to work after like five, six weeks. And so it wasn't a lot of rest either, though. I, I think I would have had the depression either way, to be honest. And, and I, and it was compounded, I think with the second, with the lack of sleep, I think that was just like, you know, for six months, every two hours, being awake and not being able to get any sleep and working during the day and serving patients was just too much. I was always functional. Like I could get to work. I could do the work. I could be with the people, but the thoughts that I would deal with outside of work and at night were, were pretty, were pretty dark. I, wow. I wasn't suicidal by any means, but I was, I was just not able to see the light or enjoy that is so, so tough. And I have so many questions to follow up with. When you were in your first pregnancy and you were feeling this anxiety in the first trimester, was it a lot of fear about the baby or the baby's health? Or was it more generalized that you were fearful of everything or worried about everything or overthinking? What was that like? In the beginning, because I had had miscarriages before, and one of them was like there, the heartbeat had been there and then the heartbeat was gone when I went for another ultrasound. Part of it was like, oh my God, every time I would go for an ultrasound or something, I would be worried about what would happen. And in New York, honestly, I think they over monitor you. Like it's sort of like an over managed, like obstetric experience. I think they do more ultrasounds and more testing than is really needed. And so I found it to be anxiety producing. Some of my patients really like the extra monitoring so they can get all the extra data points. I was like, I don't want to see you guys this much. And like, be worried about what you're going to see on this monitor every single time. Right. Um, so some of it was about the health of the baby. Some of it was like, I remember um, I had like a, like an interior designer helping me with my new, like decorate my new office. And it was like overanalyze it. This woman must hate me because like it was overanalyzing every detail. Like she picked the color for the walls. And I think I like called her a hundred times to be like, <laughs> isn't it too yellow? It looks too warm. I just can't handle Like It was like that obsessive, like thinking pattern that I just like, and she was such a dear, she was so patient with me, but I can only imagine the eye rolls that were going on the, on the other side of the phone, but I was just obsessing over everything and, and couldn't make decisions. I couldn't make decisions at all. And I, and I couldn't get past things. So so there was the anxiety over, you know, some of the appointments and the health of the baby, but a lot of it was just generalized stuff, like yeah. just like overwhelm and indecision and, and obsessive thought patterns. Yes. And I think that's very common for people that struggle with anxiety at any point, right? Is this 
you're always thinking of the worst outcome. So it's hard to make a decision because then you're like, what if that's the wrong decision? And if I made a different decision, things would be different. And so we go down that rabbit hole. But I also find I'm not surprised with this showing up as a way to control your environment, right? Like a lot of times when we're anxious, we try to control things that we can control. Um, And sometimes we can control our environment, the way things look. I know like during the pandemic, everyone started redecorating and changing things and finding control there. So I'm not so surprised to hear this kind of manifested also with decorating your office. Like I'm so anxious now and, and let me try and get some control over the way this office looks. But then am I making the right decision about the way this office looks? I could totally see how that could play out. Yeah, like nothing was right. And it was it was just like, it was an insurmountable task. Like I think in other situations, I still would have been, you know, overanalyzed the menu at the restaurant or the color scheme or whatever, I would have had trouble making the decision because that's sort of how I am over these little decisions. But it seemed like such a big deal to me. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't move past. Yeah. Oh, that's so frustrating and Mm -hmm. debilitating for people. Oh my goodness. And so then you, after your second pregnancy is when you experienced more of the depression, more of those depressive symptoms. Okay. Mm -hmm. How long did that last for you after your son was born? Can't recall exactly, but I think it was a good year. Like I remember like, that like I remember because I was trying to write my book and I just remember sitting and staring at the paper and and being like I can't think I can't think like it felt like this fog over my eyes and forehead like as if I had a headache or something but when it finally lifted I was like oh I was depressed and that was because like I had very like I had definitely emotional manifestations like getting angry too easy, getting overwhelmed too easily, getting very anxious and like very fixated on details. That's one of my manifestations. Like I get very fixated on things having to be perfect or like, you know, every detail. But when the fog lifted, I was like, oh, I was depressed. Like it was so clear to me that that's what it had been. And it felt like it, like it was like a veil that in an instant when it lifted, I was like, oh, I'm back. I'm back. Mm -hmm. Did that interfere at all with your bonding with your son at the time? I think probably, but I remember like, I remember being with him a lot, actually. I, I, I think it maybe affected my daughter even more Mm. because I was kind of like, Oh, I don't know how I can manage, you know, having energy for you, my other like toddler and this baby and But yeah, no, I I think I I luckily like I've had friends that have, you know, not wanted to touch their baby or and and had that manifestation of postpartum depression that did not happen to me. I definitely had moments where I was like, please, somebody else take this child, you know, so that I can have a break. Um, But I I was breastfeeding and snuggling and, and bathing my children. And I and I don't think that I don't think it had that as much of an impact. I think it impacted my my relationship with my husband way more. Like I was making room in like the small amount of it that I had left inside of me for my kid, but I was giving absolutely nothing to my husband. Well, that was going to be one of my questions was like, how did all of this, because when you're pregnant, like you're the only one pregnant, right? So you're the only one going through the pregnancy physically with those hormones and how you feel and how you bond with the the baby inside of you at the time. And then this baby comes into the world and that's another adjustment. So I'm curious to hear about that. So sounds like you directed a lot of your attention 
the the little attention and energy you could give went to being a mom. So what did your relationship with your husband at the time kind of go through and how did that evolve and how was he supportive of you during this time? So really what happened is that like everything he did bothered me. Like I felt like he did everything wrong and I didn't feel like he was of, of a support. He's not exactly the most emotionally intelligent man, just like I think many aren't. And, <laughs> and, um, I think he was just kind of scared at me cause I would bark and I'd be like, why am I done this? And why I, you know, and he was just like, Oh God. And, and that doesn't help. Right. Like when somebody is like, you know, scurrying away from you, you just like want to like, or at least my chase them. Exactly. And like make him listen. Right. So it just, it ended up, you know, creating this like discontent between us that eventually it, it lightened. Cause I, I think I stopped, um, like focusing on everything he was, you know, inadequate at or doing wrong, right? Like I just started like letting go and things stopped bothering me as much. And can't say that he went out of his way to be overly supportive. I think maybe he was kind of resilient and like he would sort of take my like beatings of <laughs> me being like, you suck, you do everything wrong. He just kind of like stayed constant, but didn't really know how to weather it and, and isn't one to really seek out resources kind of thing. It was a difficult time for you guys. Yes. Yes. With each child, it has been, it has been, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, I, I am very dedicated to my work too. So I think there's only so much like a working mom, um, business owner, mom, you know, and I'm taking care of my patients too. Like there's only so much to go around and sometimes something has to go. And I, and I, and I think probably it was like the, <laughs> as bad as it sounds, it was, it was sort of the attention from my husband that kind of went out for the window, out the window. And that's common. And I think also underneath that is like, I know this person loves me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we take that for granted. We're like, okay, I know they love me and I, I have the safety to put my energy in other places. And sometimes naturally like, okay, well, my kids need me in a different way that my husband does. He's grown. He can take care of himself. I have patients to take care of. I have a business to take care of. I can put him aside for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens a lot. You know, it, it's tough to go through. And any couple changing from just being the two of them to a family, you know, bringing the first baby in shifts everything in the relationship. There's so much that changes. There's a lot of conditioning around parenthood roles as a father and mother, it, who does what around the house. It, yeah. It's a difficult transition. And then if you slap some postpartum depression or anxiety on that, it makes it even more difficult. Oh yeah. It just accentuates all of the things. And And, you know, we are living in a day and age where some of the division of labor is not exactly even, Mm -hmm. and I'm not exactly quiet about that. And I, you know, having a very fertility focused practice and a fertility um, focused podcast, I tend to hear a lot of women's stories about the amount that they're doing and, you know, how their partner maybe isn't kind of being that supportive or trying to help, you know, his sperm quality or something or helping more around the house. And, and it gets frustrating, but it doesn't, that said, it doesn't help to focus on that. Like the things you focus on you enliven. So focusing on the things that are wrong, isn't, hasn't been helpful yet. It's hard to avoid doing it. Do you 
wake up feeling like there are not enough hours in the day to get everything done, feel a pit in your stomach when you get constructive criticism, or find yourself pressured to make everyone happy all of the time, then you're probably struggling with anxiety due to habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and overachievement. You don't have to live in this state of being anymore. I have taken every ounce of my knowledge and over 10 years of experience as a licensed mental health counselor to design my first online course, The Path to Peace. The Path to Peace is a self-guided program where you'll learn my five core pillars to anxiety management in just seven days. The techniques in this course are proven to help you effectively manage your worry thoughts so you can feel at ease throughout your day, understand the beliefs that drive your need to please, And so you can clarify and prioritize what you truly want and learn how to slow down and say no more often so you have more time for yourself and what you love. You can learn more about the path to peace by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to carinocounseling.com. When you were going through these times with postpartum, was there any shame? Was there any embarrassment? Was there any guilt that showed up for you? time I didn't even know mm-hmm. um that it that it was happening mm-hmm. like I think it was only after I think I did feel some shame over not being able to control my emotions like just like you know not being the best version of myself I just was kind of like oh god why can't I be better I think I was yeah. a little bit hard on myself in that way but then I would find things to blame it on like very victimy like it was my husband or it was this or it was that like it was like plenty of excuses for, you know, sort of in like being an enabler of myself to be in this like miserable state, right? Like, I think this is what happens to a lot of people that they don't necessarily know that their anxiety and depression is like ruling them because they're making up a bunch of excuses of why they are thinking and feeling this way. And it's completely a mindset. And I think I was doing that too. Like I, I literally wasn't thinking that I had depression. I knew I had anxiety. Like I knew that was very clear Mm -hmm. because it was like, you know, dominating, you know, my actions and thoughts, but the depression I wasn't totally aware of. And I also think it's because culturally, like anxiety is a lot more acceptable in our society. Like, yeah, I'm anxious. You're anxious. We're all anxious. Anxiety is like kind of cool having a moment where depression is like, has a different feel to it. And Mm -hmm. people have a hard time accepting that they're depressed and then let alone share that with someone. It's, a different story. I love that you shared though, shame around controlling your emotions. I can't help but think about a time after my son was born. He's my first child. I remember it was like a Saturday morning and it was probably like 6am and I'm breastfeeding my son. And I was like screaming at my husband Mm -hmm. and slamming my hands on the table while screaming. Like I was a different version of myself. And yes, listeners, therapists, get emotionally dysregulated we're humans too Mm -hmm. and I remember the look on his face of like I can't even describe this look like he had never seen this side of me before but then I immediately felt so ashamed for losing that control and I was like embarrassed but I didn't want to admit that to him either I didn't want to own like oh man I'm embarrassed I still wanted him to he deserved this yelling from me right like I had to validate this craziness I was feeling and oh my god shameful no and thank you for sharing that I remember like there were times that I would scream and it felt horrible because it would be like in front of my daughter and I never wanted to be that kind of 
setting that example. And I also thought like, I, so I live in an apartment in Manhattan mm-hmm. and my um, neighbors, oh my God, like the times that I yelled at my husband, they, they probably thought I was this verbally abusive, horrid um, woman. Right. And, <laughs> and meanwhile, I was making excuses to myself that my husband needs to be taught his lesson, you know? <laughs> It emotions at times, and you know more about this than I related to the hormones, it could feel so uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. And when you're in it, you don't realize how bad it is until you, like you said, you come out of it and you look back and you're like, wow, that was something to go through. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and it, and it literally for me seemed to be after the fact it was, it was only with my third, after my third that I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a familiar feeling. Like it was the fog in my head. So that, that repeated like, with your third, it all repeated again. It's, it repeated, but I was able to recognize it at that point and I caught it really early and I was able to treat it. So, so I developed a herbal formula for, that I had researched, uh, like at the time that it was setting in, I was like, what formulas in in ancient Chinese medicine have been used for postpartum depression. And so I took this formula and I started adapting it and using it on myself. Wow. And it very quickly lifted that, those feelings. So I've been on that ever since, and it's just helps me with energy and mindset and what have you. And I now dispense it at my clinic and online because it's been so helpful for so many people, but really that was because I had done a lot of acupuncture and it kind of like helped to keep me functional, but it was not taking care of like the deeper, darker depression that I was feeling. It would help kind of manage the anxiety, but I was like, I felt like I had to go to acupuncture all the time just to be functional. And I definitely like, I definitely noticed if I had a lot of caffeine, that was bad. If I had sugar, that was bad. If I had alcohol, that was bad. Like these are the things that, you know, change the brain chemistry. I would say hands down, the only thing that really changed things very dramatically for me were the herbs. Fascinating. And you see this now working with a lot of the women you treat. I do. Women and men, actually. And men too. So the formula that I had researched, it's called Chai Hu Shugan San. And it's like, like my, it's a Chinese name, but the it's very well researched for postpartum depression, postoperative depression, and general depression. And I have combined it with a few other herbs and, and changed dosages and what have you. And it seems to be working across the board for people's anxiety and depression and procrastination, overwhelm. Like these kind of, when I start to hear this in my clinic, I'm like, okay, just try this formula for a little while until you get a handle on yourself kind of thing. And, um, the, the herbs in it are very anti-inflammatory on, on the entire system, including the brain. Cause I have noticed like, even in my children, things that cause inflammation seems to ele- seem to elevate anxiety and, and behavioral changes. So this very anti-inflammatory balancing formula seems to be having a miraculous effect on brain chemistry. And I'm very excited about it. I'm, I'm going to end up, um, I'm talking to some doctor colleagues of mine about doing a bubble double blind placebo controlled trial, but still in the earlier stages of, you know, dispensing it and everything. So I'm, I'm just gathering feedback. I'm going to go from there. That is so exciting. And will bring a lot of relief to a lot of people that need this type of support, right. And want to look at alternative ways of coping with depression and anxiety. 
Totally. Cause sometimes we're doing everything right. Like I, I really think I was aside from, you know, working a lot and having a lot of responsibilities, I was really drawing on everything I knew I was meditating every day, exercising, doing acupuncture, eating clean, like, and I just needed a break from the way that my brain was functioning. Like the roller coaster was too much. I'm, I'm really grateful, you know, to have, you know, found and developed this formula um, even if it, you know, wasn't to be helping other people, which it is, it, it's totally changed my life. It makes me have hope for other things. It yeah. makes me have hope for so many things. And I've seen, I've seen big changes in people, not just with this formula, but with, with other ways of, of approaching it, um, naturally. So, so that's nice, but I also want to, you know, don't want the listeners to think that I think that, you know, natural solutions are the solution for mm-hmm. everyone and that everybody needs to try that. That's, you know, not, not necessarily realistic. I feel like everybody's, you know, formula for how they get, you know, get past this or manage it is, is very different. So I'm so curious about the things, you know, that helped you get through these times, right? So for listeners that can relate to like, okay, so what did she do? She did this formula. Sounds like acupuncture. You were meditating, you were exercising, you were eating clean. At any point, did you seek professional mental health support or any support groups? Did you talk about this with friends or family? What other um, ways did you manage dealing with this postpartum anxiety and depression? So I have a coach. Um, he, I, I actually went through a life coaching program when I was um, earlier on in my practice because I felt like there were just topics that would come up that I was like, hmm, I really need to learn a bit more about like strategic questioning to help people discover things in themselves. And so I went through a coaching program and, and which helped my own counseling skills during my sessions with patients because dealing with, with a lot of fertility, like I'm going to, I have to have some you know, counseling skills is just, yeah. it's just going to be the case. I think a lot of the doctors who work in this field should have them too, because some patients walk to, walk away traumatized by what, you know, their practitioner has said. But anyway, that's a whole yes. other topic. So in this program, one of my mentors, he, he was, you know, an empowerment coach and I still talk to him bi-weekly and I talked to him through this period bi-weekly too. And he helped to really get me out of my own head. When I describe being fixated on certain things, um, and wasn't able to get past them, he was able to kind of bring it back big picture. Now, he's not at all traditional talk therapy, which I think is very valuable for so many people. He is um, much more spiritually focused, uh, meditation and quieting the mind and accessing the quiet within, like not really like troubleshooting specific things. Um, so it was very interesting that like every time I would get stuck on something, it was always kind of like meditate, you know, these things dissolve on their own. And, and they did, to be honest, a lot of things would dissolve on their own, but there was a lot of time that I had to spend, you know, meditating and kind of telling myself, trusting that this thing was going to work out and things were going to change. And it was really always great. And it still has been great to have his reinforcement. So I do believe that people should have a you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, like that, that they're, when they're going through this to have that sounding board, to hear a different perspective, to get you out of your own head. I believe like that my meditation, my herbal formula, acupuncture, these things have been, you know, pivotal for me, but also, you know, a person to, to be on the, you know, other side of the call or the conversation, I think is really, really helpful. I don't, I'm not sure that friends and family always um, say the right thing. Cause I think sometimes like 
they could reinforce the victim attitude. You know, you're right. That person is bad or it's not your fault or whatever. So it's kind of nice to have like a, an in, like unbiased third party or less biased third party to, to give perspective. I, I totally agree. And I have a lot of clients say like, I just want to feel better. Like I'm sick of feeling sad or I'm sick of feeling anxious. What's the one thing I can do? And I'm always like, I wish there was just one thing you could do. It's really a holistic approach. Imagine like a pizza pie and there's every slice represents different parts of what can help you feel better, right? So there might be the natural medicine. It might be um, medicine prescribed by a psychiatrist. It might be a psychotherapist. It might be, are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Are you meditating? So there's so many different parts to a mental health recovery that people have to consider um, to really see some change. You know, I wish there was just one thing. So I'm so grateful for you to share all those things that you utilize to get you into that recovery. Also, oh, it's my I'm, pleasure. I feel like we have to, we have to just keep going. Yeah. Like, you know, you have to keep going, keep trying, like you can't give up and, and succumb to the feelings too much. The life, life just passes you by. Yeah. And that's where people usually like give up because I think there will be one thing. Oh, I tried that medication and it didn't work. So like, I'm like this forever. I'm like, no, it's a, it's a collection of coping yeah. mechanisms. Exactly. Totally. It's like your arsenal. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'm not surprised like meditation was useful because mindfulness is one of the most researched things lately that help with anxiety management. And I spend a lot of time with clients trying to teach them mindfulness techniques and meditation is one of them, but learning to be really present with how you're thinking and feeling. And you also mentioned affirmations, like telling yourself like this, you're going to get through this, this will work itself out. I'm not surprised that worked for you. It's one of the mm -hmm. best ways to manage anxiety. Oh yeah. I just keep going, like going back to like trust, trust in, in it and it's going to be fine. And empowerment coach saying, you know, trust in the infinite organizing power of the universe, like trust yeah. that these things that we don't have to try to control everything to make it work out yes. the way that we want it to, that a lot of things do just work themselves out. But I will say that when I meditate daily, it, the world is a different place for sure. It is really like, and it, and people think they have to be doing some kind of like fancy form of meditation. Like I just sit quietly. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but everything feels more manageable when meditating. Do you meditate in the morning or in the, in the evening? It's really hard for me to meditate in the morning. That used to be my go-to. And I loved starting my day that way. It would like set the tone for my day. And then after each child, I found myself taking a massive vacation from um, meditation because in the morning I'd be getting woken up early by this baby and I couldn't do it anymore. And then, um, so I had another blip in meditation after this third baby, he's now 15 months. And then finally my coach was like, cause he was like, why aren't you meditating? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I just don't have time. The only time I could do it before night before bed. And I thought you're not supposed to do that. He's like, just do it. If that's the only time you have to do it, then that's when you're doing it. And so I started meditating before bed every night. It helps me sleep better. I have a better day the next day. So it basically, it's like all these rules about meditating has to be first thing in the, thing in the morning, has to be twice a day, has to be for 15 minutes. I don't follow any of it anymore. I, like there's an ideal and then there's a reality. And my reality is I'm meditating before bed and it might be five minutes, might be 20 minutes, um, whatever it is, it helps me. 
I love that. And I completely agree. And I think people listening that have kids that they need to get out the door so you can get to work morning time is like so hard to accomplish anything. So I too shifted meditation to evening. And I like to journal like goals and, you know, like really write down my hopes and my dreams. And I was trying to do that in the mornings. And I, I can't, I don't have time for that, but I do know I have time before bed. And so I kind of shifted my routine and I would go to sleep feeling good. Thank you it. so much for sharing all of this. How can our listeners find you and connect with you? Well, you can reach out to me at the Naturna Institute and it's naturnalife.com or on my Instagram at Dr. Christina Burns or at Naturna underscore life. Or if you're interested in reproductive health, then you can find me on my podcast, Fertility in Focus. It's on Spotify and Apple. But yeah, anybody um, who is interested in in women's health and fertility and and mental health a la natural medicine, I, I love to deal with all those categories. And thanks for listening to me jabber on today. No, you've been wonderful. <laughs> and I will make sure I have those links in my show notes. Thank Great. you so much, Christina. Thanks so much for having me. It was so fun. I am so grateful for Christina's openness and vulnerability with this topic. Not only is she so intelligent, she's also so relatable. And if you resonated with this episode and the conversation we had, please don't hesitate to reach out to a licensed mental health professional to assess your symptoms and provide you with the support you deserve as a new mom. You got to take care of yourself before you can take care of everybody else or that ship is going down. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate or review this podcast so I can get this content out into the world and support more people on their mental health journeys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. For complimentary anxiety management tools, you can head over to my website, carinocounseling.com. Thank you so much for listening and go enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.